0: Hello and welcome to Secondhand Stories. This is a place where I tell you stories. What kind of stories? Well, histories, mysteries and unbelievable stories. Today's story is very interesting. Uh, it comes to us from Sri Lanka. Siddhi and I had gone there and that's where we found this story. The story starts in a cemetery, which is a great place for a story to start. The cemetery is the British Garrison Cemetery in the Sri Lankan city of Kandy. And we were there because someone recommended it to us as a tourist attraction. Now it's very rarely that you get recommended a cemetery as a tourist attraction. So when you do get recommended it, you go. And we went. And I'm here to tell you, it did not disappoint. So, we land up at the cemetery and we meet the caretaker. His name is Harsha. He is in his late 20s, early 30s. uh, Very friendly guy, very informative. And as soon as I met him, I had to ask him the number one question you ask any caretaker of a cemetery, which is, have you seen ghosts? And his answer was, not yet, but I'd like to, which is a great answer. So he's taking us around the cemetery and the cemetery is filled with stories because every grave contains a story and there are 160 graves. People have found their way into the cemetery in the most odd ways that you can imagine. Everything from getting bitten by a cobra to being trampled by an elephant to getting hit in the head by a cricket ball. All of these reasons have led people to come to the cemetery as i'm looking around i see that there's this one particular grave that stands out it's got this flute like structure on top it's bigger than all the other graves it almost looks like a monument so i ask harsha i said whose grave is that and he takes me to it and he says this is the grave of john Doyley, the man who brought down the last king of sri lanka And then he tells me the story. And it's a wild story. It is Game of Thrones minus the dragons. And set in Sri Lanka. This story has all the classic elements of a tragedy. It's got greed. It's got betrayal. It's got murder. And it tells you how swiftly you can be defeated if you're divided. Now, this story basically has a lot of protagonists. But we're going to focus on three people okay the first person is the king his name is Sri Vikrama Raja the second person is the prime minister the second in command of the kingdom and they, they were called maha adhigars and that person's name is Pola. and the third person that we're going to be focusing on is the person whose grave I was standing at John Doily now before I get into the story i just want to tell any person who's watching this from sri lanka that uh, if i'm messing up the names i'm sorry but i'm sincerely trying my best let's get into the story and before i do let's set the scene okay we're in candy this is candy with a k and the kingdom of candy was uh, established and rose to power in the 1500s it's in the interior of sri lanka in the middle okay and Uh, This place is thickly forested and it's got a lot of mountains around it. The capital city of Kandy is surrounded by hills on the Kandy Plateau. Now, this mountainous terrain formed a natural fortification for the kingdom. There were very few routes into the kingdom and these routes were kept extremely secret. In fact, revealing these routes to anybody was punishable by death Now, because of a few routes it was easy to guard them the terrain was so rugged that you could very successfully mount guerrilla warfare campaigns and because of this the kingdom of Kandy had been independent for 300 years despite the repeated and relentless efforts of the portuguese and the dutch in trying to conquer the kingdom it had somehow remained autonomous that was until 1815 when the British finally succeeded. And that is the story we are telling today. Our story starts with the last king of Kandy, the last king of Sri Lanka. Now this guy wasn't even supposed to be the king. Okay, He was born as Kannaswami. His mother was the previous king's mistress. And when the previous king died by falling off his elephant, it was a young 18-year-old relatively uneducated Karnaswami who found himself put on the throne and his name changed to what the history books now know as Sri Vikrama Raja The odds were stacked against the king right from the beginning. Okay, because he was, although he was integrated in Sinhalese culture, he came from a dynasty which was called the Nayakar dynasty. Okay, now these guys were basically a dynasty of kings who came from South India. So he was already considered an outsider. Secondly, and more importantly, he was not put on the throne for any legitimate reason. He was put on the throne by the Prime Minister, the then Prime Minister of the Kingdom of Kandy, the Mahadigar. His name was Pilima Talave, and he had installed this boy on the on the throne because he wanted a puppet a puppet that he could control and then eventually dispose of so that he could then put a Sinhalese king on the throne the mahadigar pilama talive puts him on the throne and very quickly this plan starts going badly because this young king starts making independent decisions he is nobody's puppet what's worse these decisions were against the nobles So animosity starts developing between the king and the nobles. And the one person who's most pissed is Pilimat Talave. So what he does is what anybody would do if they were bitter about the fact that their puppet king has grown a mind of his own. He goes and starts conspiring with the British. He starts telling them the secrets of the empire and tells them when they should attack. The British listened to Pilima Talawe, and they decide to mount an attack. They sent two troops to Kandy and this was a bad bad idea because Pilima Talawe had underestimated how much the people still supported the king and the British had underestimated how dangerous the kingdom of Candy could be. The British troops enter and the forces of Candy put up such a fierce battle through guerrilla warfare that the British just cannot keep up. Then the monsoon strikes and with the monsoon comes disease and disease rips through the British troops and finally they're beaten and battered and they start making a retreat. As they're retreating, the Candian forces, they intercept them and massacre them. Only four people lived to tell the tale. This decisive Candian victory happens in 1803. The king now has more power than he did before and he is able to subdue the nobles even more. What happens to Pilima Talave for this? Well, he gets executed. The king has just won a decisive battle against the biggest imperial power of its time and now he has got the nobles under his thumb. He's on a high. But he had to be careful because History was going to repeat itself very very soon because watching this Candian victory from afar was a man called John Doily. John Doyley was the son of an archdeacon. He had studied in Cambridge and then he became a civil servant. From the civil services he finds his way to Ceylon which was the English name for Sri Lanka comes to Ceylon, joins the civil services here as a revenue officer. But then he does something which is very strange for a civil servant. He finds a monk and he becomes his disciple. As a student of the monk, he starts learning Sinhalese, the language of the kingdom of Kandy and the language of Sri Lanka. He learns the customs and the culture. And he's an intelligent guy, a fast learner and he becomes really proficient at it. In fact, he's so good at it that the documents of the time say that he was probably the one European who knew more Sinhalese than anybody else. Now, because of this proficiency, the government decides to give him a different post. The post they gave him was of chief translator. Now, chief translator sounds like a very useful position and it sounds like a harmless position. Useful, it is. Harmless? It wasn't. Because when you translate chief translator, it means master of spies. That's what John Doyley was. In 1803, they had tried brute force, sending an army to conquer this place, and it had failed. So the British resorted to another tactic, a tactic that we in India know really well The tactic was of divide and rule. And so begins John Doyle's decade-long mission to destabilize the Candian kingdom. So what he does is, he starts collecting information. He's got a network of spies who are constantly feeding him stuff that's happening in the interior of the kingdom. Now, knowing Sinhalese, he starts befriending the nobles and finds out what issues they have with the king. Having found out the issues, he makes them bigger and bigger until he turns these dissatisfied nobles into rebellious ones. He's not just collecting information, he's also spreading misinformation. This guy was doing fake news two centuries before it was called that. He's trying to distort the image of the king. Okay, He tries to put word out that the king is a greedy, cruel, drunken womanizer. Now all of this could be true but it wasn't true to the extent that John Doily tried to make it out to be. In addition to this he's also gathering vital strategic tactical information such as what are the routes into the kingdom and what are the details of the Candian forces. Now all of these things that John Doily was doing they all came together when he finally befriended the new Ma Adigar, the Prime Minister of the Kingdom. That man was Ahillapola. Ahillapola is the final nail in the coffin of the Candian Empire. He's a man of, of mysterious motives and probably the one person whose fate is the most tragic of all. He's our third and final protagonist. Ahillapola was the nephew of Pilima Talave, the man who had conspired with the British against the empire and had his head removed for his trouble. He was his nephew. And like I said, history was going to repeat itself. Because guess which Maha Adigar was conspiring with the British again? That's right. It was Ahelapola. What he does is he starts corresponding with John Doyley and starts passing on information and again, like his uncle, starts urging the British to conquer Candy. Now, the reasons he did this vary. Right? Some people say that he did this because he wanted to depose the Nayakar king and, and put a Sinhalese king on the throne. Some people say that he did it for the people of Candy to save them from this tyrannical ruler. And others say that he did this to become king himself. Whatever the reasons, Ayala Pola is now conspiring with the British. He starts doing this and then eventually the king finds out. The king found out about the betrayal when Ahlopulla was away from the court. He was in his districts doing his duties. That's when the king finds out. And incensed, the king sends message to Ahlopulla saying, come to the court and face up to your charges. Ahlopulla knows that he's in grave danger. So instead of going to the court, he flees to Colombo and asks the British for protection. The king sends another message. He says, if you do not arrive at the court, then your family will pay the price. Ehla Pola still doesn't come. What happens next goes down as, in legend, as the singular most gruesome event in Sri Lanka's history. It's an event so gruesome that Probably even Game of Thrones wouldn't have shown it to you. And they've shown a lot of stuff. I'm going to tell you first the short version of events. And the short version of events are that the family was executed. The kids, the wife, everyone. That's the short version. And now I'm going to tell you the long version. And if you're eating food, I would suggest that you skip it. Because here's the long version. The family are brought to the executioners and the elder boy is terrified he's cowering he's holding on to his mother he knows what is imminent that's when his younger brother a boy who was not older than 10 steps forward and he turns to his brother and he says brother let me show you how to face death and then he looks at the execution and says cut my head off in one single stroke now this moment of bravery is immortalized in Sri Lankan history. In fact, if you go to this place called the temple of the sacred tooth, you'll find a statue there of this boy urging his captors to execute him. The executioners did execute the boys and they were beheaded and their heads were then placed in a rice mortar, which is basically like a container where you grind rice. They were put in the mortar and then the pounder was given to the mother and she was told to pound her kids. As soon as she gets the pounder, she faints. And then eventually, she's taken to a lake and a stone is tied around her neck and she's drowned. When news of this broke, it stunned the kingdom of Candy. No one lit a light in that entire kingdom for days. The only light that shone came from the palace of the tyrant king now it's a gruesome anecdote it's filled with gory details images that you will not be able to shake out of your head right in fact when you listen to it you almost feel like it's a great thing that the british are coming and overthrowing this king so you can imagine why it was that this version of events come to us from the british no one else seems to mention it But they were the ones who started this particular version of events. Regardless, the truth is that the family was executed. And when that happened, the other nobles in the area, they got jolted. They suddenly realized what could happen to them and what could happen to their families. And because of that, they rebelled openly. This was the moment that the British were waiting for. The British forces started entering the Kingdom of Candy. The king realizes that he's lost the support of the nobles, the support of the army and because of that, the king flees. In 1803, the British had tried to just send an army and through brute force conquer this kingdom, and it had failed. Then, through machination and duplicity, in 1815, they finally managed to conquer the kingdom of Kandy and not a single bullet was fired. The king is eventually caught. He was holed up in a house with his two queens. A mob goes to catch the king, and when they break open the door, the mob seizes the gold ornaments of the queens and rip them out of their earlobes. Blood spills on their clothes, and these clothes, these blood-spattered clothes, can still be seen in the museum of Colombo. The king is brought to Kandy, and forced, along with some other nobles, to sign a treaty which forfeited the kingdom to the British. Then, the king is banished. He's put on a ship, and he's sent away to India and he dies in relative anonymity in Vellore. Ahellapola thought that now that the king has been deposed, he will ascend to power. That didn't happen. The British had used him and now they cast him aside. All power was stripped from the nobles and the British seized control completely of the land. This eventually led the nobles to revolt and a rebellion took place two years later. The British squashed that rebellion cruelly and mercilessly. After this rebellion, they basically thought that ahilapola was also a part of this, which is why they banished him too. They send him to Mauritius and ahilapola dies a broken man, without a kingdom, without power, and most importantly, without his family. He sums all of this up by saying that he gave everything to a government that he trusted, and in return, all he got was a line drawn in water. Let's come to the last protagonist of our story, John Doyley, The man who worked for a decade to get this victory to happen. A man who succeeded beyond his ambitions. A person who was able to conquer a kingdom without a single loss to the British Army. He should have had it better than the other two. And he kind of did. In 1816, he was made the chief administrator of Candy. But then, something strange starts happening to John Doyle. He becomes a recluse because he had sympathy for the people of Candy and he felt that the British would treat them better, but they didn't. He spent the last of his days in a plantation, and legend has it that he grew out his hair, used to walk around barefoot, and used to chew pan. The very culture that he sought to exploit had eventually swallowed him. Upon his death, they found out that he had been giving monthly stipends to 115 local needy people. John Doyley died without ever going back to England in 1824. And he was buried in the British Garrison Cemetery where Harsha looks after his grave today. So that's the story of how the Kingdom of Candy fell. I hope you enjoyed the story if you did then please leave a comment and a like if there are other stories you would like me to cover then also leave them in the comment below. Uh, As usual this episode is brought to you by my career. If you would like to support my career then please check the links in the description below. Uh, If you are in Mumbai I will be performing on the 19th in the city for tickets you can check the description and until next time bye bye.